it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is August 22nd, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. Every neighborhood has a heartbeat, a place that represents the cultural epicenter of the area at its core. In Boston's historic North End, that place is Boston Barber and Tattoo Company. Boston Barber and Tattoo Company has become home to A-list Boston celebrities like Gordon Hayward, Milan Lucic, Brad Marchand, Kelly Aaron Baines. Boston Barber and Tattoo is more than just Boston's most well-known corner barbershop. It's also a tourist attraction for hundreds of thousands of people that visit the North End throughout the year. Boston, Barber, and Tattoo, a North End landmark that represents a cultural epicenter of the area at its core, located at 113 Salem Street in Boston. Uh, welcome to another Bruins Beat here on CLNS Media. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. And as we've been doing for most of uh, the latter half of the summer here, we're touring around the Atlantic Division and kind of giving you an inside look at how some of the other teams in the Atlantic Division have uh, handled their offseason and what they might look like in this upcoming 2018-2019 season. And it's time to look at the Bruins' arch rival, uh, one of the best rivalries in sports, and, of course, that is the Montreal Canadiens and the Boston Bruins. And in to do that now with me is my good friend uh, from up north in Montreal and uh, from TSN 690, Mitch Melnick. Mitch, how you doing? Jimmy, how, how are you? I'm great, my friend. I'm uh, I'm a little upset. I haven't made it up north to your your fine city this summer yet, but there's still a couple weeks left, so hopefully I can squeeze it in. It's funny. I always make it down to Massachusetts, New Hampshire, a couple of times during the summer. Uh, we regularly vacation on the Cape for about a week. Uh, we spent some time in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is a great, funky little town. I love it. Twenty minutes away from uh, Jenna State Beach, so. Uh, uh, one of these days, maybe we can just meet halfway. That sounds like a plan. Maybe at uh, maybe at Bill the Spaceman Lee's place, huh? In Vermont, Craftsbury, Vermont. Now we're east of Burlington. Sounds yeah. like a plan. That sounds like a plan, my friend. Hey, listen too for our listeners here. They might not know. I mean, despite you being a uh, a lifelong Montreal resident, born and raised, and working in that city uh, as a reporter and then as a radio host for so many years. You actually uh, are a Bruins fan. That, that was your second favorite team going up, huh? <laughs> well, Bobby Orr was my favorite player ever. Uh, it, you know, just the first. And, that, you know, again, I grew up I grew up in the 60s. As a, I was a child in the 60s. Not a child of the 60s, but a child in the 60s. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I'll, be, I'll be 60 years old next year. Uh, so we didn't have access to uh, games on a daily basis. It was like once a week, Hockey Night in Canada. 
and occasionally a midweek game that they would pick up at 8.30, like at the end of the first period. That's that's how I grew up watching games, and, uh, except at playoff time. But I, I remember vividly the first time we saw uh, Bobby Orr play. It was just, it was like a, he was from another planet. And it's just, you know, I remember as a kid not understanding at the time why he was being booed at the forum. Uh, and then I realized it was just envy and, and jealousy. Uh, you know, it's a habit of booing players uh, that are too good. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think Bobby was the greatest player I ever saw. And, uh, and through the years, I've always admired the way the Bruins uh, played and, and competed. And there's something, you know, I'm a history buff and I love the city of Boston. I love uh, visiting Boston. I'm also in a relationship, in a long-term relationship with, uh, with somebody who was also a Bruins fan. I took them down. In fact, when they last won the cup in 2011 to the, to the parade. That's right. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's some, uh, there's, there's a, I'm not your traditional, typical uh, Montreal Canadiens fan growing up. Although I am a big Habs fan, I was For a big sure. Habs fan growing up. For sure. And I remember uh, meeting up with you at uh, McGreevy's uh, after that parade. That's right. Yeah. It was yeah. a really hot yeah. and sweaty day. And I remember let's, let's get inside the air condition here at McGreevy's. Yeah, they may have served somebody underage that day. I don't want to get uh, the gang in trouble over there. You know, maybe there's a statute of limitations. <laughs> <laughs> and and let's not forget, to, uh, I, I think one of the greatest stories I ever heard, uh, too, Mitch, was when you were here for the Winter Classic at Fenway. And oh, no. you know, it was so crowded in the uh, press box that they had that those crazy auxiliary boxes. And you had to basically – watch the game on TV to report on it and cover it, which I agreed with you. It was pathetic. And what did you do? Well, they wouldn't, well, I went, well, they wouldn't let me even stand. I didn't mind standing in the cold, but uh, security for security reasons, they wouldn't let me stand at any of the uh, Fenway uh, archways or, or exits, you know, towards the concession area. It was, it was, there was no, there was no room. And I didn't drive to Boston to see the outdoor classic at Fenway Park to watch the game in the back of the press box on television. <laughs> so I was getting very frustrated. A couple of people knew in the NHL office weren't really helpful. And I said, you know, screw it. If I'm going to watch the game on TV, I'd rather watch it at McGreevy. So that's what I did. After the first period, I went to McGreevy's. Great stuff. Great stuff. And of course, you've had uh, the owner of McGreevy's and the lead singer Dropkicks, Ken Casey's been on your show a couple of times. So uh, good connection there. Hey, listen, Mitch, let's get into the Canadians here. And, you know, I, I think Bruins fans, I, you know, I won't lie. I, I have them tell me. I see it on Twitter. Uh, they're loving watching this show uh, from afar and what's going on in Montreal. Because it's just, it's a mess right now, isn't it? Yeah, it's not just Boston. It's uh, Toronto, too. It's, you know, I think the, the long-suffering fans in Toronto certainly longer-suffering than Boston. I think that's part of what upsets a lot of Canadians fans right now is not only the state of their franchise, but where their arch rivals were, where they were ahead of both Boston and Toronto not that long ago. And uh, especially in the case of Toronto, you could see they may not win the cup this year, but they should be able to compete seriously for the cup uh, this year and uh, for the next few years. And, uh, and it's, it's, it it appears to be real close in Toronto. We're here in Montreal. It's, uh, they they appear to be as far away as they were during, uh, during the pre-Gainey years and the, and the Pierre Gauthier era. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And I guess, you know, if you can pinpoint, I know there's been so many gaffes along the way here, but is there something that stood out to you where you, you know, you look back now in hindsight and you're like, that was kind of where you could see maybe this was going the wrong direction? 
Yeah, clearly there for me there there are a couple of moments. Um, I had high hopes for Bergevin as a general manager his first me year too. when they were competing. Went out and got Thomas Vanek at the deadline. That was a, that was an excellent move. They needed some scoring and some power play juice. And uh, but then you know the Subban for Weber trade uh, that that was a turning point. That shocked me on the air. I there was a you know I I we learned about it live on the air and I. Uh, you know, I said something you're not supposed to say on commercial radio. I love Shea Weber. I don't think there's anybody in hockey who doesn't think the world of Shea Weber as a competitor and as a player. Now, if Shea Weber bounces back and picks up where he left off as a as a impactful, elite, shutdown NHL defenseman who can also score 20 goals a season because of his shot, then if he can continue to do that for the next three years, four years, whatever, he's going to the Hall of Fame. But they gave up four years and, and a, a dynamic uh, offensive player who was, uh, whose defensive game in his own end was often overlooked because he's so dynamic in, in P.K. Subban. And the key was given up the four years and a guy who, who has played 25 minutes a night. And uh, it just changed the complexion of the team. And then to add to that, so they, get, they give up youth and speed and dynamism and electricity and, get, and, and basically a, a big part of the face of the franchise uh, for, for Shea Weber, who's like the complete opposite kind of player. And then at the trade deadline in a series in the playoffs, in a series that I thought they should have won against the Rangers or should have been put in a better position to win that series, uh, they ended up acquiring, instead of offense like Bannock a few years earlier, they picked up uh, Dwight King and Steve Ott and okay. uh, Andrew Martinson. And then all of a sudden, with Claude Julian behind the bench, it looked like they were trying to replicate what the Bruins did six years or five years earlier, and that's just lean on everybody and win puck battles. And, and that's, that was an indication that they got it wrong. They had no clue where the NHL was headed, uh, and they were trying to win games because of their goaltender, one nothing, 2-1. And uh, that, that was a lot of alarm bells went off. And then in the subsequent series against the Rangers, no surprise, they couldn't generate any offense. Yeah. Uh, carry price carry price goals against that series was 1.8 his save percentage was close to 940 and they still lost six games in the elimination game in new york their four centermen that night were phil deneau thomas placanet uh brian flynn and steve ott and that's that's like a head shaker they've, they've had the worst group of centermen in the nhl and they didn't address it and that's that's not just been in the last five to seven years mitch i mean this is something that's dating back to <laughs> I mean, let's face it, like the last time they won a cup almost, or at least the mid-90s, they've, they've always been missing yeah. that centerman. And it, it's just for well, some yeah, reason, but I, I, yeah, they've been missing a traditional a Kopitar type guy or back in the day, uh, uh, you know, Muller or Vinny Donfus. Donfus played a lot of wing when they won the cup in 93. But, uh, you know, that 93 team, they had, uh, they had Kirk Muller. They had Denny Savard, uh, who was injured in the final. Uh, they had a 31-goal score, Stefan LeBeau. Uh, you know, they had Key Carbono. They had real depth down the middle in 93. It's, it's not – look, Saku Koivu and Thomas Pekanitz back in the day, that was an effective uh, – especially a playoff time for Koivu. Koivu played his best hockey when the games were most meaningful. Mm-hmm. But, again, he wasn't surrounded properly. He was stuck with, like, Chris Higgins as a left winger one year. And, of course, Higgins scored 26 goals and thought he was a 30-goal scorer. Saku Koivu, there was nothing wrong – with having Koivu and a, and a uh, 26, 27-year-old Thomas McCannis down the middle of the ice if the rest of the roster had been balanced out better. But you right. remove Koivu from the equation, and, and you know, McCannis certainly hasn't aged well. 
And now you're, you, you got a, a, it's, it's a team that's basically a donut. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And you know, you, you bring up Carey Price and I, I by no means blame any of the struggles or any of the direction that this team is headed in on him, but there's a lot of, and I think this is what happens, obviously, when things go south. There's always going to be talk, oh, should they trade this guy? Should they trade that guy? Yeah, trade to Carras. Go ahead. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, geez. That's every day we hear that. There's people convinced here, Mitch, and not just fans, like media convinced that Yaroslav Halak will be the starter by November. I mean, it's that crazy. I don't know what the hate is for Tukarask here, but getting back to price, I'm not so much saying that trading price is the solution, but is the only solution to blow it up at this point. I mean, can you, can you sort of patch things and get back on track to where you want to go? Uh, or, or do you have to blow it up? And, and, and furthermore, can you blow it up in a city like Montreal? Is that ever going to be accepted? Well, Jeff Molson at the end of last year said what happened last year was unacceptable. And Mark Bergevin told me on my radio show, uh, in a, you know, in response to uh, he didn't like the attitude on the team. Uh, he did say when pressed, uh, I'm responsible uh, and I will fix it. And uh, certainly the, the middle of the ice hasn't been addressed, really. Uh, so I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think uh, rather than see them, you know, fight, it's conceivable with, uh, with uh, Carey Price returning to forum and depending on how some of the young players do, that they'll give the appearance of, of getting into the playoffs. They'll be in the mix. But I think right. for the overall betterment of the franchise it would be better if they didn't but that's Jeff Molson's money that he's counting on a on a playoff round or two that's not that's mm-hmm. that's me talking not Jeff Molson uh but I don't know how you rebuild when your two best players are are 31 and your your goaltender and 33 your, your defenseman Shea Weber uh you know and you're looking to move if if in fact it comes to that and maybe it does come to that at the trade deadline you know who's gonna who's going to take on both those contracts with the respected ages of those players? I think Carey Price got a lot of great hockey left in him. Uh, the guy we saw last year that was a that was a mirage. He, he never got going. Yeah, uh, and I think part of that I'm not making excuses for him. He he was a he was he was terrible. Uh, it's the worst year of his career. Most goalies who play ten to fifteen years in the NHL they're going to have a year where you look back and say what happened. Uh, like starting pitchers who are Hall of Fame pitchers, but. He, he, he is one of the best puck handlers in hockey. He had, a, uh, I think, at least half of the defensemen in front of him were brand new. They never got on the same page. Carl Olsner spent the whole season backing in on him. He's certainly not a puck handler. There was a lot of miscommunication early on between Price and his defensemen. And I think, I think a, 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 you know, so much of goaltending is focus and, and concentration. And... One of the reasons he was off and a lot of players were off is they recognized very early on they just weren't good enough. You know, they didn't replace Markov. They didn't replace Radulov. I think as a group of players sensed that the team was, was a mess and, 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 and Carey Price would have had to stand on his head in order for them to be competitive last year. And I think that just kind of seeped in early on. And uh, I think that's what led in part to Bergman talking about attitude. Can't fool the players. No. No, for sure. But, I mean, what's he done to address the attitude, the, the play on the – I mean, it seems like they've been dormant the whole summer, and that's what I don't get. If he's, if he's trying to change the culture, what exactly has he done to do that, other than potentially, you know, the Galchenyuk trade where he says maybe that's a attitude type. Well, Max Domi, 
Yeah, see, Golchenyuk is another, to me, Golchenyuk is a glaring example of, of this franchise screwing up the development of a top draft pick. I mean, that's his first pick as the general manager of the Canadiens, mm-hmm. third overall pick. In retrospect, it wasn't a great draft year, but there's no question. Alex Golchenyuk scored 30 goals in the National Hockey League. That was not a mirage. And he started off the following season, uh, he was among the top scorers in hockey, playing center, uh, almost a point-of-game clip before he, uh, he got clipped by Kopitar. And uh, he suffered another knee injury. And then he never recovered from that knee injury. And uh, I just think they totally screwed up his development. I was more upset over the fact that his career as a Canadian ended without the promise, without giving the uh, – for a team that is so desperate for offense down the middle for them to completely ignore his own request to try it again at center, almost just to save face. I, I like Max Domi as a player. He's not going to bring uh, the number of goals that Galchenyuk in a good year will bring, but he's going to be a fan favorite. He works hard. He's a, he's an excellent playmaker. And, uh, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, the, the, the hole down the middle of the ice exists. You know how desperate they are when they bring back Thomas Buchanan. Yeah. And then the whole Druin experiment where they just refused to admit they were wrong. It just seems a lot of – there's a lot of stubbornness going on with this front office and, and, and the coaching staff to an extent. Yeah, I, that, that's another, you know, I talked about the alarm bells going off, the Sugan for Weber trade, the, uh, the, the state of the center ice position, uh, you know, against the Rangers in that six-game playoff loss. And uh, certainly another, them, another one was uh, their failure to uh, address what they needed and force-feed Jonathan Drouin as an NHL center iceman. I, you know, an organization that believes that that could work, that, that's that, – there, there is a high degree of angst among the Canadians, not just because of where the franchise is, but because of the people who are running the franchise, mm-hmm. the hockey operations department. There's a lack of faith now in these people uh, to, to get this team back on the right track. Now, they just had a pretty good draft by all accounts, uh, and it's kind of shocking that Bergeron was given another opportunity by Molson to, to try to rebuild this. I think in a different situation, he, he would have, uh, mortgage the future and, and would have been in on Ryan O'Reilly. He probably would have made that trade, but you know, as much as St. Louis gave up, uh, but in a, in a, you know, he's basically been told uh, you're the general manager and you may be hanging by a thread, but you can't make a move just to save your job. So in, in that respect, he had, he has to think big picture here. Uh, I like the Armia pickup from Winnipeg. I, I think he's a player to watch. He's got size. He can skate, he can move. Uh, he's at the age where a lot of guys just take another step. Sometimes that never, that next step never happens. So we're about to find out with them. They have, uh, Lekkonen is another guy that should be better than what he was last year. He's a guy that appears to have a lot of tools, but he also could be a guy who will also, you know, five years from now, you'll be saying, geez, he never took that next step, you know? Mm -hmm. So there are some elements of, of, uh, some, some decent players. But they don't have – I mean, you look at the blue line right now, and it's just oh. – it's a mess. You know, you're, you're asking Carey Price to pull what he did the year he won the Vezina and the MVP or when Jose Theodore got them into the playoffs that one year and they yeah. beat the Bruins in the first round. And I don't know if he's as good as Carey Price can be. I don't know behind this team if you could even get into the high 920s or 930. Yeah. We'll see. You know, we'll see. Yeah. That's That's – Somebody's going to have to emerge here to do something unexpected in order for this team to be really competitive. You mentioned the word angst, uh, Mitch, and uh, I've become a big fan of reading Brendan Kelly in the Montreal Gazette. He's writing some really, <laughs> some really fun, but 
really on point columns, in my opinion, this, uh, this summer. I mean, a lot of people disagree, but you know, I, I don't know his, uh, is he more my age? I'm not sure how old he is, but is he? Sort uh, he's in his, I think he's in his, well, Brendan's in his, Brendan's a music guy and a culture guy here. Yeah. I remember he giving a blog as a, yeah, he's a big punk. He's a big Ramones fan, Dropkick Murphys fan. Cool. And, uh, and he DJs here locally once a month at a popular club. And he was given a blog as a, just a, from a fan's perspective. It's, uh, I know a lot of people view it as kind of one trick pony. Like I challenged him on the air, you know, write something positive. You know, I want to be uplifted. Yeah. And he kind of did. He kind of did, you know, but it's yeah. hard to look at this franchise right now and, and be uh, positive about the, the immediate future of it. It's, it, it's just difficult. And, uh, and again, I, I point to what fans saw not that long ago. They had a good core here. They were young. They were on the rise. They had an identity. They had the best goalie in the league at the time. Yeah, and they, they are they have watched the NHL. A lot of teams in the NHL just zoom past them. Right uh, when that shouldn't have been the case, considering the age of the core guys that they had at the time. Right. Yeah, and I, re I mean, I remember when I was living up there from like thirteen, two thousand thirteen to fifteen. I mean, I covered that team in two thousand fourteen. I said this team's on its way, but uh, you know that was the year Price got hurt in the conference final, but. Um, it, it's just a shame to see where it's gone. But my, getting back to Kelly, and it kind of, you know, his, his blog, the question I want to ask you based on that is there seems to sort of be two divisions of fans amongst Montreal Canadiens fans now um, in, in the sense that, you know, you have people like you that grew up with the dynasty and, and even people more my age maybe that can still remember 93. But there's a very large portion, Mitch, that doesn't remember nine. They weren't alive from ninety three. And no, if you're thirty, if you're thirty years of age, uh, maybe you, maybe your dad pulled you out of bed at five years age, five years of age to watch the uh, celebration when they won the cup. Right. But what I'm saying is, did the Canadians, did the Canadians sort of know this and know that they have a large portion of their fan base that doesn't necessarily expect a cup contender every year, ex expect excellence. And are they sort of leaning on that and not, I, I don't know, just not going out of their way to take it to the next level? Are they using that as a crutch? No, I, I look, the one thing I would never do is question their, their uh, desire to win and put the best team on the ice. I mean, these are competitive people. Uh, you can question their competency. Uh, you can question their judgment, but I, I wouldn't question their commitment to, to winning. And I think the the uh, the fans, the longer you go without experiencing uh, winning anything, the more hungry you are. And right now, a large portion of the fans uh, are starving for a winner. This city is it's it, this is a terrible stretch for the city. The Montreal Alouettes of the Canadian Football League. Yeah, I think they've lost 18 of their last 19 or 19 of their last 20. <laughs> this was once a model franchise in the league. It resulted in them getting Johnny Manziel uh, because they're in danger of becoming irrelevant in right. the market. And that's the, the biggest danger that I saw. And again, it was early. It was very early that it was apparent the Canadians were, were no man's land last year. Is, is There was almost no anger until the very end That's of what the I was season. getting at. Uh, yeah. There was, it was almost like uh, um, apathy. And that's worse when, when, when fans... Exactly fans decide they're just you know why am i devoting another three to four hours of, of my life to this team in december january february because um i know how the game's going to end 
that's where it reached last year. And people were giving away their season tickets. I, I know a lot of people in the business community here who ate their tickets. They could not give free tickets in the Reds away in the last half of the season. And uh, anybody who went to a game at the Bell Center, you felt it. You felt it by the third period. There's just like no air in the building whatsoever. Yeah. I had friends that came up for one of those. Uh, you remember they played the Bruins on back-to-back Saturday nights. I think they played them three times in one week there, one, one in the middle in Boston. That's right. That's right? right. And yeah. I had friends that were coming up from Boston that ended up in the Reds for 60 bucks a piece. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's, that, they that's where the franchise is. And I know in 1983, back in 83, the Canadians had just been swept by the Sabres and they missed the playoffs, and that resulted in the following of uh, uh, Irvin Grudman as the GM and Bob Barry as the coach and the prof Ron Caron as their uh, main scouting guy. And the Sir Savard era began, and Ron Corey came with another Savard, which is a great move as the general manager. But that first year, people around here don't remember this. I certainly do. In that first year of the Ron Corey regime and Sir Savard as general manager at the Forum, where the capacity was about 16,000 seated, they were giving 1,000 tickets away on a nightly basis in the 83-84 season because of uh, what had transpired the previous two years. So we've lived through it before, but with Savard as the GM, no matter what kind of season they were having, you always felt that you were only a, a significant move or two away from getting back into contention. That's what he did in 86. They needed a big center. He got Bobby Smith. He traded Mark Napier to Minnesota. He got Bobby Smith in, uh, in, in 93. Uh, 93, he got, uh, uh, it was Gary Lehman. They traded Brian Scrudlin, who was having issues with Jacques Demers. They got Gary Lehman to add some offensive punch and depth and a couple other trades that were made. But you always got the sense that the surge was one move away from turning the team around. You don't get that sense. these days yeah it's too bad it's too bad well listen before we let you go the big question i think a lot of people not just in montreal around the nhl they're kind of following this uh is what's going to happen with the captain max pacioretty and you know we saw what was it only a month ago a story broke that he had been informed that mark bergeron was doing everything in his power to move him before the season started do you see that actually happening before they hit camp or is this something that's going to drag into the season? And if so, how much, uh, you know, how much of a dark cloud will that be over the team? Well, that's, that's a whole podcast, the whole Pacioretty situation. <laughs> it's, my, it's my understanding. I don't know if there's uh, reports out there. It's my understanding that, uh, uh, look, Mark Bergevin and Pat Brisson played hockey together. They grew up together. They're really good friends. Throw Luke Robitaille into the mix who's the president of the Kings, those three guys know each other. I believe they worked out a deal involving Pacioretty. The sticking point, obviously, was the contract and what what the potential contract would be and how much time he had to uh, digest it. That's when he fired me. So, and, uh, and, and he's now working with uh, Alan Walsh. So uh, I believe there was a deal uh, with the Kings, no matter what has been suggested otherwise to that. Um, and look, I don't blame Pacioretty. He's in a position. He's got. He's in a. He's in a unique position. He's got one year to go on a ultra team friendly deal, uh, and he wants to maximize his output. His next contract might be his last. And I just ran into him by chance in Lower Westmount. He has a home in Upper Westmount. Probably as we speak, he's working out with a few players at the Westmount Arena. He uh-huh. looks tremendous. He looks slim, slender, but strong. 
And uh, I, I have no doubt uh, wherever Max Pacioretty plays next year, he's going to score 30, it's 35 goals. If he plays 80 games, he's going to score 35 goals. That's who he is. And uh, especially if it's in another city with the burden of the captaincy, you know, not being a factor whatsoever. And if I'm a team out there, I wouldn't, you know, I think he's probably looking for 8 million next year. I w- certainly wouldn't lock him in for long term at 8 million per year, but you know, 8 million the first year, maybe seven, the second, there's a deal to be had for, for Max Pacioretty. The question is uh, a lot of teams look at last year and all of the controversy surrounding him and they're not sure. Um, and that the fact that he could walk after next year is, is in, impeding a possible deal. And I don't doubt for a second that if Bergevin had a, a, a likable deal, that he would have been dealt by now. But now, now we're, we're closing in on training camp. I know his golf tournament, I think it's this week or next week. I believe it's next week. I thought he'd be dealt before his own golf tournament, personally, mm-hmm. because then comes training camp. And uh, so now all three, uh, Bergevin, Molson, and Julien, uh, announced publicly, the Canadians did, that they will all be attending and are proud to be attending and supporting the captain. Of course, the golf tournament that he holds raises money for the Montreal Canadiens Foundation, the Children's Foundation. So uh, I guess there's a possibility of a uh, of a new contract here, or the possibility of a new contract sign and trade. You know, I, I um, there's a lot of uh, mending to be made. Uh, Max loves it here. There's no question about that. He was slapped with a C, which in retrospect, you know, you can't say the Canadians shouldn't have done it because the players voted for him. But he he he's assumed the captaincy in a terrible time for the franchise. That's a lot to ask for anybody to to be able to fight through this. And it's just it's no shame. Uh, Joe Thornton's going to the Hall of Fame. He had to see removed. Patrick Marlowe had to see removed. It's just a burden. He's very proud uh, to to wear the C for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's a, he, he. I don't think he believes that he'd be better off without it. Um, but clearly, as he struggled early last year, he was almost pleading. For somebody else to take command, he said, I'm, I'm, "I'm the worst guy on the team right now. I can't say anything to guys who need to pick their game up." I mean, that's that was a that was a uh, that was a, a a direct link into the room, the dynamics of the Canadiens' room at the time, uh, early last season when they were struggling. So, again, uh, in in the best possible world, uh, Pacioretty would would be playing here. He'd be thriving. He'd be producing, and maybe somebody else would be. Uh, carrying the burden of the of the captaincy, and I know a lot of people suggest it might be Shea Weber. He's going to miss half the year. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't communicate with members of the media that well. It's not part of the job that he likes. So while it might it might make sense from a player's perspective, I think the captain in waiting is Brendan Gallagher, and I think a lot of uh, that open letter that he wrote to prospective UFAs uh, that was carried all over the NHL about you know trying to attract UFAs to Montreal. That was that was in Brendan Gallagher's voice. I think there's a reason for that. Yeah, and I, I would have said the same thing on Gallagher. They're just getting back to the whole trade scenario, though. The other thing, too, Mitch, is you got to look at it. If, if I'm an opposing GM right now and, and I'm talking to Bergeron, I mean, I, I've got him by the proverbial balls, so to speak. I mean, he, he's painting himself in a corner here. He's not going to get a good return because of everything that's got out. You know, and, and I just – it stinks for everyone involved. I mean, hopefully Pacioretty gets the deal he deserves somewhere else, but that's going to be another PR hit when he gets dealt. He's not going to get the return that the Canadians likely would have gotten if all this didn't go public. 
Well, that's the other possibility here is, is if, uh, whether there's a deal worked out or not now, obviously, uh, an injury, like a significant injury to a knee or whatever, a back, uh, that, that would change everything. But, uh, uh, if, if you get closer to the deadline and you create a bidding war for a guy like Pacioretty, then another team, uh, we've seen it. We, we've yeah. seen a history of teams overpaying at the trade deadline for, and the guy is not even 30 years old yet. I know. You know, so, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't see it as bleak. I, I don't see it as a good situation for the Canadians at the moment as we speak, but I don't see it as, as, as possibly being as bleak as uh, others might, might think. It all depends on who he starts who he starts with, who his centerman is, and uh, and uh, and his production, and then what kind of season the team is having. And if the team is underachieving, while well, Patrick himself is having a good season, I, I still think he'll be able to get something decent. But not why he's still a half. Yeah, for sure. We'll see. We'll see what happens, Mitch. Well, listen, we'll let you go. I know you're a busy man, my friend, and. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your time off, and I urge our listeners to always check your show out 3 to 7 p.m. Uh, on TSN 690. And uh, I also know, Mitch, you, you've been doing a lot of production work uh, in your other ventures there with MitchMelnick.com and uh, Billy Productions. Yep. Any, any events coming up that we can plug here? Sure. Uh, Billy Bob Productions uh, presents, is this a joke? No, it's a roast. I think even Boston area hockey fans know who Tony Marinero is by now. Oh, yeah, Roasting. We're roasting Tony Marinero at uh, Club Soda in uh, uh, September 27th. Club Soda is a six to eight hundred seat club here in uh, Montreal, uh, so there will be a lot of hockey people uh, there. Uh, a lot of uh, Tony's teammates through the years in the media, some opponents in the media, and we'll be taking shots at him. It's it's uh, uh, Shane Murphy and his band uh, oh, will awesome. be performing. There's a lot of surprises. Plan. I'm producing the event, so I know I know what it's going to be like, and uh, it's it's going to be mayhem on uh, on Thursday, September 27th. Hope you can make it up, Jimmy. Yeah, I will. I could do some roasting to Tony, and Tony's always been great. We had a, we had a great ride in that aforementioned series in 2014. Uh, Tony drove me back. Uh, what was it after Game Five, I believe, in uh, in Boston, up, up for Game Six to Montreal. We had a great ride up there. So uh, good stuff. Good stuff. I'll definitely try and make it up and. I would be remiss, considering, Mitch, that we are both huge music fans. Uh, on this day that we're recording right now, it would have been the 66th birthday of one Joe Strummer. So we'll send a little uh, happy birthday out to him. Uh, I never had the pleasure of seeing him. Did you? No. Unfortunately, I was uh, invited to see Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros at a club that no longer exists, which is one of the best music clubs in North America called The Spectrum. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was Sean, Sean Gordon, who works for Globe Sports, Globe Mail newspaper, uh, who actually resembles uh, Joe Strummer. His yeah. facial resembles uncanny. Uh, he invited me out, and I, I, I don't know if the Expos were playing or something was going on. And I said, yeah, I'll catch him the next time. Yeah. And, of course, within six months, he was dead of a heart attack. And so I never saw him. But he, Joe Strummer's a big part of my life. And, in fact, Billy Bob Productions has a major event. Uh, plan for late 2019 in a center kind of centered around Joe Strummer on the clash oh man can't wait for that all right we'll stay tuned for that well listen Mitch always a pleasure my friend appreciate you taking the time and uh, I hope to see you uh, in late September for Tony's Roast thanks Jimmy a lot of fun all right that's Mitch Melnick of TSN 690 Billy Pro Productions MitchMelnick.com join us here on the Bruins Beat I'm Jimmy Murphy we'll talk to you next week 